Welcome to episode 63 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk about how Montana's foster care system is number one for all the wrong reasons. Let's join our host, Tammy Fisher. We have a department in Montana that is housed under the Health and Human Services Division called Child Protective Services. However, for the past 10 years and under two separate administrations, one Democrat, one Republican, it is not the children who are in fact being protected. I have some familiarity with CPS, both from being a prosecutor for CPS in the removal of children from their parents and from being a kinship foster parent myself. When I was a prosecutor, part of my job was to represent the department when children were removed from their parents. This was in about 2005 through 2007. And at that time, the department locally in Flathead County seemed to function quite well. The staff was relatively stable and the social workers seemed totally on top of their game. I learned a lot about the department's processes, both in removing and reunifying children with their parents. I did not know how bad the bureaucracy was within the department, though, until a family member's five children were removed from her home and four were placed with me. This was at a time when I was a single mom and I had my own law firm, so I was working like 80 hours a week. Helping raise four children under the age of 10 that weren't mine, in addition to my own five-year-old and one-year-old, was quite the experience. The children placed with me had been raised like feral cats, essentially locked in a basement to fend for themselves. Their teachers used to send them home with backpacks of food and clothing and keep extra clothing at school as the children's parents couldn't be bothered to provide socks for the kids in the winter. These kids were terribly damaged by neglectful and abusive parents, and I was ill-equipped to parent them, but I did my best out of obligation to my family. Social workers that I worked with professionally as a prosecutor were now in my personal home checking out the environment in which I was raising these kids. And that's an entirely different perspective than when you are the professional that represents the department in court. I was actually nervous at the judgment I might receive for how I managed my household. I can't imagine how an impoverished parent must feel when the state walks into their house. I had all of the privilege in the world by that point in my life. I was a professional with an advanced college degree in a perfectly suburban four-bedroom home. And I knew personally all of the social workers who were coming to visit me. Yet the visits by the state were still off-putting, so much so that it gave me nerves and I cleaned my house frantically every time I knew they were coming over. So what happened to those four kids that were placed with me? Nothing. They were out of their parents' home for six months, and despite no improvement whatsoever by the parents, and after monumental investment of state resources in family therapy and parenting classes, the children were returned to their parents as the department determined they had no further services to provide. And what happened after the kids were returned? Well, the parents split apart, and one parent chose to shack up with a pedophile who proceeded to abuse the kids. And then the kids sexually abused each other. And only one of the kids made it out and is doing well and is in the military. Of five kids, all five suffered ongoing child abuse after reunification by the department with the parents. This was when it became clear to me that the foster care system in Montana was full of well-meaning social workers who were forced to place form over substance, to adhere to antiquated policies that 
did not reflect the needs of our children and who had to spend more time on documentation and data collection than on actually serving the needs of our Montana kids. And by 2010, it was clear to any of us that know anything about the foster care system that Montana's system was in death spiral. All of the good social workers with years of knowledge and experience began fleeing. Some left because they reported they weren't making any progress with families. Their job had become one of checking boxes versus delivering social services. Others left when it was clear the department was promoting bad actors and bullies to senior leadership positions. And the failures of child protection services were known throughout the state, but really no one has done anything about it. Every year we would see an article about the shambles our child protective services was in. And recently, a legislative audit found what it has consistently found every time it has audited CPS, that they continue to place form over substance. They have no leadership, no consistent mission, and families are suffering. But again, this is nothing new. It's just a recurring problem that no administration has deemed fit to fix. And the complaint from the department used to be, well, we have so many kids in foster care because of the drug problem in Montana. Well, it turns out that's not true at all. In states with higher drug addiction issues, less kids are in foster care. And when the department buys a program to help with a cohesive response to abuse and neglect issues, it failed to fully implement the program. And leadership continues to fail to train staff on the contents of that program. Yet leadership forces adherence to an administrative program that it is not equipped the staff to actually adhere to. It's like throwing a kid on the back of a horse and saying ride without any instruction on actually how to ride. Might that kid fall off and fail in the endeavor? Well, of course they will. If you're handed a chainsaw and don't know how to start it, yet your boss says cut down a tree, can you really be criticized for not falling the tree? Nope, you can't. And what we find here in Montana is that when CPS is audited, the results are the same over and over again. They have been for years and nothing is done to change what's going on in the department. So the legislative audit division takes great pains to fully audit CPS work, expends significant taxpayer resources in performing the audit and making recommendations only to find that nothing changes. So despite the fact that the department since at least 2011 has, quote, concurred with the recommendations made in multiple audits, the concurrence has never led to any change. The only thing that has changed in the audit reports is the date of the audits because the findings are the same. And finally, we have proof that whatever the department is doing, it's harming kids. Montana has more kids in foster care than any other state. And it's not because our parents are shittier parents than parents in other states. It's because our Child Protective Services Division is in a shambles. Here's what the Legislative Audit Division formed us of in 2015. Quote, The department needs to address inconsistent documentation, limited supervisory oversight, and lack of management information related to child abuse and neglect reports. The department also needs to comply with state law regarding investigative timeframes, and resolve inconsistencies between state law and its investigative protocol for making determinations of child abuse or neglect. As part of our review, we identified long-term and systematic management concerns. For example, of 250 investigations included in our review sample, the department did not document notification to families of the outcome of the investigation 78% of the time. 
Audit work concluded the department lacks basic access to some of the useful information it needs to effectively manage CPS work, due in part to an antiquated data system and the absence of a plan to actively use data to make informed management decisions. In addition to management concerns, we noted the department does not routinely meet statutorily-based investigative timeframes or uniformly make final investigative determinations. Over 70% of the investigations reviewed were not completed within the 60 days required by law. The department must develop a plan to actively use data to manage CPS activities, including using legislative funding for the implementation of an automated case management system, end quote. So that's in 2015, and they bought the automated case management system in 2011 and still had not implemented it. So why is data management so important when we talk about child abuse and neglect? It seems finding good homes should just be the mantra, right? Well, the problem is kids don't do well when we just find them good homes, that aren't with their parents, because kids want to be with their parents regardless of how they are treated. It is human nature for humans to attach to their primary family unit. And over years of research, what has been discovered is removing kids and placing them with strangers, no matter how well-intended the strangers are, well, that actually is very traumatic to children. So it's better to try to make good homes out of the homes they already live in, try to help the parents. But without a data system that reflects compliance with the policy of informing parents of the outcome of investigations, you have no idea if departmental policies are actually being followed. And this is a statewide system that is supposed to have it that families in Tudot, Montana, are treated the same as families in Kalispell, Montana, when CPS is involved. And you can imagine having CPS come to your house, tell you they are doing an investigation, into how you care for your children, and then they never come back around and tell you the results of that investigation. I mean, as a parent, are you then going to poke the bear and say, hey, just call in to follow up to see if you found that I abused my children or not? No intelligent parent is going to do that. And that's why it's important that the government, when it does get involved in your life, follows through consistently in the application of its policies. Because it shouldn't be on you, the average citizen, to make sure government is functioning in the manner it has been directed to function. So that was 2015. The auditor said, get your shit together or kids will suffer. So did they? Nope. In December of 2017, the department still hadn't implemented any of the 2015 audit recommendations. So two years after the audit report, the department was asked about its failures. Quote, the head of the Department of Public Health and Human Services told a state panel Wednesday she would tell them soon when her department would complete compliance with most recommendations made in an October 2015 audit on child abuse and neglect investigations. I believe we're almost there. Department of Health and Human Services Director Sheila Hogan told then-Representative Randy Brodell, Republican out of Kalispell, after he was critical that all five recommendations had not been corrected. I have some concerns with this agency that we don't have their attention in this audit, he told fellow members of the Legislative Audit Committee. DPHHS officials said following one of the recommendations would mean a change in state law. There is inconsistency between the state law and the model DPHHS uses. Then Senator D. Brown, Republican out of Hungry Horse, said the issue 
could be resolved if the department would ask for a change in law. She called it an obvious solution. In response to comments that all the audit recommendations have not been put into place, Hogan told the committee wholesale change cannot happen overnight. We continue to work on improvements, she said. Since the 2015 audit, DPHHS has implemented a recommendation to prioritize child protective services intake and investigative activities. It is also putting into place a recommendation to clarify roles of supervisors, including standards for reassigning investigations when staff turnover occurs. Other recommendations being implemented include using funding from the 2015 legislature to update electronic records management, develop a plan to collect data to use to make better decisions. Also, the department is partially implementing a recommendation to comply with state law for timeframes for reports of allegations. Hogan said her department is seeing a huge increase in Montana of substance abuse removals, alcohol, drugs, and complexity in the family. But we know now that blaming the substance abuse for the removal of children was just a lie. Because two years after the audit report, the department hadn't done squat to remedy the issues identified in 2015 or to use the funding from the legislature it was given in 2015 to fix some of these glaring issues, including the collection of data. And this bullshit meeting in 2017 where Hogan promised change changed nothing. By 2019, any of us that knew employees at CPS knew the place was a train wreck. The Kalispell Regional Office was a subject of an expose in 2019 that discussed the problems in the department. Montana's Child and Family Services Division is tasked with safeguarding the well-being of some of the society's most vulnerable citizens. But in recent months, the agency has been criticized by sources who claim longstanding mismanagement has fostered a broken system. Nearly 20 sources with knowledge of Northwestern Division 6 of Child and Family Services in Kalispell and other offices in Montana say over the years, employees have had to maneuver a system that consistently fails to uphold its purpose, namely keeping children safe and families strong. They claim those suffering the most are children, who are sometimes unnecessarily taken from their homes and families by Child and Family Services. Quote, When a child is removed from their parents, they lose everything, their home, trust, their belongings, and sometimes their school and friends, said Pat Sylvia, a now-retired former supervisor with the Kalispell office who held her position for more than a decade. Melanie Sherman, a former caseworker at the Kalispell office, and others allege most issues in the system boil down to one overreaching problem, poor management. Sherman and others claim some child and family service workers holding management positions have abused their leadership roles by demanding workers remove children from their homes without enough cause. Sherman, who quit in November of 2018, said employees should consider removal very carefully, given the act can impose unnecessary trauma to children who, if they are removed, often end up in the state's foster care system. Quote, we always consider what will be least restrictive and least intrusive to the child, but employees are constantly being asked to violate that, Sherman alleged. If any of us try to stand up to management's decisions on how to handle a report or investigation, we are retaliated against. Several sources pointed to a culture of bullying, with managers using fear tactics 
to control employees and families who question their authority. One source described employee departures in Kalispell over the last two to three years as a mass exodus, leading to a significant loss of experienced staff members. Sources further allege substandard training models for new staff and higher turnover rates that have resulted in caseloads that far exceed normal expectations for workers. Sherman worked at the Kalispell office for more than three years. In the last year or so of her time there, she claims at least a dozen people quit their jobs. At the time she left in November, Sherman estimates about half of the 16 positions at the Kalispell office were unfilled. The State Department of Health and Human Services is currently advertising for 12 child protection specialists, four of which are listed for the Kalispell office. One former employee in Butte said 14 people quit in the span of her last few years on the job prior to herself departing the job. Another source claimed six workers decided to walk out together from child and family services and billings on the same day because of management issues. The Child and Welfare League of America recommends caseloads between 12 and 15 children per worker at one time. But Sherman said it wasn't uncommon for her and her Kalispell colleagues to be handling three times that many cases at any given time. Another source with knowledge from the Butte Agency said her workload was always double what it should have been. The billing staff averaged caseloads of 60 children per caseworker. According to Sylvia, those left behind to handle the growing caseloads after others left often are the ones lacking experience. Sources admitted to missing deadlines for assessments under the drag of hefty caseloads. Some believe their deadlines became more unobtainable after the state adopted a safety-based model in 2012 known as the SAMS model. Instead of evaluating individual instances of abuse and neglect, the new model evaluates any potential threats to a child's safety as well, a process that begets much more in-depth assessments. It, the SAMS model, was intended to standardize investigation, Lowy said. Instead of looking at incidents, they were starting to look at family functioning. In 2015, a few years after the model was adopted, the Montana Legislative Audit curated a review of child abuse and neglect investigations. The report praised the SAMS model, but said it is still a work in progress. A subsequent report in 2017 reiterated the same findings. Sherman said Child Protective Services employees are trained to adhere to certain thresholds that dictate whether kids are removed from a house. Before a child is removed, a caseworker must reach out to management before proceeding. Regional administrators and supervisors ultimately give the final call on whether or not to remove a child. Sylvia said this is sometimes an issue of assessing from the desk, in which management makes a judgment call to remove a child despite having not laid eyes on the situation, or in some cases, having allegedly not reviewed reports from caseworkers. If the powers at the higher level don't listen to those who are doing the hard work and have feet on the ground, the system does not work, Sherman said. Sources allege they have been asked multiple times to remove children when they believed it was unnecessary and removal would be traumatic for the child and would violate the least intrusive, least restrictive rule. Just before I resigned, we were told to remove children if there was a question of safety, then continue the investigation, Sylvia said. 
I believe we were told to remove children unnecessarily, and we broke up families needlessly, rather than make a plan to keep families together safely. Sylvia Sherman and other sources allege managers use intimidation when employees and families push against management's call to remove children from homes without substantial evidence to do so. Sherman said she doesn't think the intentions are necessarily malicious, but she claims management would rather remove children and place them into the foster care system than deal with any potential repercussions that may occur should they not remove them. Quote, a culture of bullying. To understand the full scope of alleged abuse of power, Sherman, Sylvia, and others say one needs to look beyond Kalispell. They noted how former administrators or those who oversee staff at one of the state's six regional levels have been promoted to the state level despite once being in charge of a struggling area. Quote, We are asking different results from the same administrators, said Matt Furlong, vice president of the Montana Child Protection Alliance, an organization that provides support to families whose children have been removed from a home. We have a culture of bullying that is happening at the top and trickling down. For example, Furlong said one employee who was recently named a division administrator for child and family services in 2018 was a longtime regional administrator who oversaw the Great Falls office that has been the focus of past abuse of power allegations. Yet the former regional administrator for that office now holds one of the highest jobs in the state division. Ann Gowen, who worked in Montana as a child and welfare worker and supervisor for nearly three decades, claims during her time at the Polson office in Lake County, the regional administrator forbade workers to speak to one another and intimidated employees, yet that administrator now works at the State Department in Helena. According to Sherman, the current acting regional administrator in the Kalispell office has asked workers not to collaborate with one another on cases, a request that has caused staff morale to decline. Child and family services often doesn't clearly relay the steps parents need to take in order to get their children back, which can include required counseling sessions, therapy, and more, he said. A report from the Montana Legislative Audit found that former management did not always stress the need to identify the conditions of return that a parent must meet in order for a child to safely return to their custody, which creates a delay in children returning home and consequently increases the number of children in foster care. Sources allege Child and Family Services, which has itself experienced bouts of decline in resources in past years, often does not provide resources for parents to better themselves. The process of getting a child back with their parents can be laborious, Lowy pointed out. Parents are often expected by the department to make changes that require a complete shift in lifestyle. And that last quote was from a gentleman named Matt Lowey, who is an attorney and has been working with Child and Family Services for years, both on the prosecutor side and now representing parents and children. So here we have it. Supervisors who have never laid eyes on these kids deciding whether they should be removed from their homes. That sounds like an objective and fair standard, right? The supervisor, not policies and procedures, determine whether your kid sleeps in his own bed tonight. And not only that, but the supervisors were of the mindset, shoot first, ask questions later. So they figured there was less liability in removing kids than leaving them in the home. So remove and then investigate. How does that help Montana kids? 
How does that help keep families together whenever possible? The answer is, it doesn't. And by December 2021, the jig was up. Another legislative audit found exactly what the last audit found, and nothing had changed. So we know that at least since 2015, nothing has changed, and it's only gotten worse. They were supposed to get rid of their junk DOS-based data collection system in 2015. They were even given funding to do it by the legislature, who has notoriously been cheap in funding anything government-wise. But has the DOS system been replaced six years later? Nope. In fact, they didn't even start with the replacement system until 2018, three years after they were funded to replace the program. Add another three years to the implementation and we're still at square one. If you don't have an operating system that functions, you cannot function capably in your job. And to have the most important department in the state of Montana dysfunctional because its leadership is just incompetent is maddening. This is the department that is supposed to intercede in dysfunctional families. How in the hell can it credibly do that when it's entirely dysfunctional itself? And who are they going to recruit to take on this monumental task of rebuilding the entire department to a more credible form? No one wants to touch that place with a 10-foot pole because of its reputation of toxicity. And the lack of leadership is astounding. They adopted a model for investigating child abuse in 2011 and then just stopped adhering to the model by 2015. But the model is still in place and all of the policies and procedures are built around the model. But no one knows how to use the model anymore because they stopped training staff to the model. And with all of the turnover, well, they have no staff left trained on the model. And due to the lack of follow through and training, It's the model itself now that is causing kids to stay in foster care much longer than in any other state with the same model. This is basic leadership, folks. And from the top down, no one in the department is taking any accountability or ownership for this abject failure of a department, a failure to lead, a failure to serve the people of the state of Montana, and a failure to take care of Montana's most vulnerable population. And the population that is literally the future of this great state. So now what? Now that we know that since at least 2010, CPS has been circling the drain and we finally have statistics that show that their incompetence is harming Montana kids and families. Well, I'm sure there'll be more committee meetings to come. Lots of talking, lots of hand wringing and lots of blaming everything but those in charge for this catastrophe but not an ounce of accountability. Because unless the legislature and the Gianforte administration put all of their effort into writing this sinking ship, we will stay at the bottom, dead last, in keeping Montana families together and keeping kids safe. And if we don't keep calling out government for its failures, if we don't perk up when we're told our state is failing, is dead last, And if we don't call for sweeping overhaul of state government in these departments that have been failing Montana families for years, then we're just going to keep throwing good money after bad. And we will have no one to blame but ourselves. When our Montana kids ask us, why didn't you do something to help me? Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today. And we'll see you next time. 
You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Consider sponsoring the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. Find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.